Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our Q&A sessions, where David and Brent answer questions from the audience and also any questions from our social media followers. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hey, how's it going, everybody? We are back with another Q and A um, with a after a, a brief hiatus. God, it's, I'm very dark and orangey. I was trying to adjust the lights, but to no avail. I'll try to figure it out midstream. But we were not around yesterday. Hello, Scott. How are you, sir? Um, not yesterday, sorry, last week, uh, we took another little break, um, but uh, we are back this week and I brought a special guest with me. We are going to be having a little chat with Jacob Gardner tonight. Uh, I don't know what David's doing. He's washing his hair or something, probably something very important, but Jacob is here with us and we're going to do the same old drill. We're just going to work our way through your questions and, um, we're going to do our best to have uh, some fun along the way. So without further ado, let's welcome, uh, the one and only Jacob Gardner into the conversation, Jacob Gardner. Hey, hello. How are you doing? How about how are you? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. Thanks for having uh, the time to uh, to share. Um, so usually the way this goes, I think this is the first time you've done Q and A, but it this, is. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is consider this the uh, your your hazing. We need to. <laughs> I promise. I promise to make it really gentle. The um, we have a Google sheet that is full of a bunch of backlog questions that Scott manages. You don't have to worry about it. I'm just gonna. Okay. Kind of, I, I say I can send you the link if you if uh, if you want. I'm gonna send it to you on the. Uh, oh no! Keep me surprised. Oh yeah, you like it being surprised? Okay, good. No. So I'll just queue them up and we just knock them out of the park. But meanwhile, we are also very um very able to ask uh, sort of answer questions from live chat as well. So excellent. Uh, I love that. You, yeah. So for instance, why don't we start with <laughs> David's retaliating? He, he's in the he's in the he's in the shadows. He didn't like the washing his hair comment, so he wanted to start this this whole Q and A by asking you the very important question of. What is Jacob Garner's favorite cheese? Provolone. Next question. Wow! Holy cow! That was even <laughs> not even not even a delay. You had? Did you prepare nope. that? Did you like come prepared with like? No, not at questions? all. But oh, I mean, okay. to, I cheated because I saw it in the chat before oh, you put it on the screen. I, so I had a second to think about it before yeah. you put it live. David, you're gonna have to send me ones in question in, in secret so that I can totally ambush them with, <laughs> there the, you with go. the questions. If you wanna. You know, you got to wake up real early to just to, to 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 trick this bird. Okay, so I um I'm going to um start digging into the backlog right away, just because Perfect. I want to try to get through some of them. There's usually the way Scott does this often is that um uh he's often often advertised a bunch of the questions that, that are on there. So I'd like to make sure we kind of tackle some of the first ones. So we'll just do that now, and then it gives you in chat, all you wonderful people in chat, <laughs> if you have some questions, uh, then you know anytime to piggyback right off of this, these first ones. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And just don't forget to put a little cue in front of it because it makes it a little easier for me to uh, to pick out the uh, the questions like David's so uh, tricky question of his of his quickie tricky tricky uh, cheese question. Okay, so let me get rid of that one and bring up a real one. Let me see here. That was a real question. Don't well, it was. You're right. Short. I shouldn't. I, you're right. I'm sorry, David. Definitely a real question. Uh, one sec. Try to fix my lights. Okay, here we go. So, um, v, v, Vix, Vixos, Vixos um, asked the question, what is the best workflow to find the animation style of a new project? I like this one a lot because this is not an obvious thing. That's the kind of thing that doesn't usually come up um, in yeah. school, that's for sure. So how do you tackle this? Um, it's an excellent question. I think uh, it, it just comes down to a lot of hard work for me. It's a lot of studying. Right. Um, one, well, first, I don't know. Probably nobody here knows who I am, but I am an animator, and oh, so good. Well, I'm I, sure most people know. Most of the people here are usual suspects of the Gore community, but yeah, I mean, okay. So I'm an animator, but I, I worked at DreamWorks Animation for a while, and what's cool about that place is that they didn't have like a house style, like mm. at Pixar. Most of the movies live in the same kind of style. 
animation, which is also really good. I'm not saying that that's bad by any means, but at DreamWorks, there's a whole range of animation styles for the different films. And so there was one time where I had to go from Madagascar 3, which you know the style of Madagascar, into um, Guardians, Rise of the Guardians, which is a completely different style, um, a much more naturalistic animation. And then I think right after that, I went to Penguins of Madagascar, hmm. or um, maybe Crudes first and then Penguins of Madagascar. But the, the styles were very different. So you get like whiplash going between the, the style of animation that you're required to do. And so for me, it was a struggle and it took a lot of just like studying what other people were doing on the project, things that the supervisors or leads thought was successful on that project. And with Madagascar, you had two whole other films to look at for the style. But yeah. I, like, literally frame by framing, taking their the work that was successful and figuring out the timings that they were using, yeah. figuring out the cushion, the spacing, all those like choices that they were doing that described that the style movement for that project. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it's not terribly unlike drawing, right? Like when you look at a certain type of drawing, the, the style is represented by patterns. It's choices, right? There is a there's a recipe that's being used. So as an animator, you need to find the recipe, the same thing, but it's in, in a different dimension. It's obviously in the movement and usually the posturing. Um, so yeah, it's like, like David said, you hopefully you have some sort of reference has already been sort of either generated by maybe one of the more senior animators that's sort of driving the, the the look of the project or maybe there's an existing project that is the main reference that could be either a sequel or a prequel or 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 maybe even a completely different unrelated movie that people are like hey we want to look like one of the pop one of the most like most requested stylistic references uh in the last decade is hands down has been um into the spider-verse uh, just because it was very fresh and everyone was excited by it. And, uh, and, you know, if you take a look at it, there's a bunch of qualities to it that are very, very apparent once you start to dig into it. Like the fact it was on twos, like the fact that, um, you know, that, um, the, their action poses were usually held for a little longer and the, the, you know, and they were very graphic. Like you could put that on a poster. It was so good. Like it, there's things that are in there that just need to be kind of reproduced, um, you know, consistently to make it fit in with the style. Right. Totally. And yeah. so it comes down to that studying. Yeah, study, a lot of studying for sure. And I mean, usually you, you know, hopefully you get a little bit of time when you're new on the project to kind of ramp up and climatize to that, right? Usually. Yeah, I mean, I usually felt like on almost every project I've worked on, I feel like I really get the hang of the style mm. on the last week of production. <laughs> <laughs> just when you nail it, it's already yeah. done. Yeah. Mm. It sure doesn't matter if you're working on the movie for two years or yeah, yeah. two months, but. Uh, it's always the last week that you're like, I finally understand yeah. exactly how this yeah. style works. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, being an animator and all, you have obviously a very good sense of timing. So figuring that out at the very end, good timing. But I mean, the other way to read this question would be, um, imagine you are doing your own personal project or what if you are, maybe you are the supervising animator or, you know, whatever, and you have been asked to come up with the style. That's a whole other way to read this question. Mm -hmm. Um, how would you approach a problem like that? I actually did approach a problem like that. Wow. I was part of a team with, uh, well, I was part of many people trying to sure. figure out the, the style for trolls, ah, um, because oh, we wanted that. something different and, mm. uh, that wasn't part of the, the existing styles that were in DreamWorks right. filmography. So we are not going down the road of like how to train your dragon and not going to Madagascar either. We are trying to find a different sort of style within that. And so I did many tests uh, as well as did a bunch of my peers of trying to experiment with different styles mm. with, um, uh, for example, like pushing the hold as long as possible and then snap down in like one yeah. frame into yeah. a new pose. Like family um, guy, family guy, one frames. Yeah, stuff like that. And some of it was successful and some of it wasn't. And some yeah. of it ended up um, making its way into parts of the film. Right. And so, others was just thrown out completely. So what was that process like then? So because it sounds like you were experimenting with things. So like, was yeah. there a phase of the project before you started? Like it was a pre-production and you were mm -hmm. just you and some other people were just allowed to just try stuff and then yes. like review it with the director and then be like, yeah, we like this, not so much this. And just after a bunch of trial and error, you came up with a collection of ideas. That is exactly it. Wow, it was. I was there. It it is. It's like you were in the room. But yeah, we would we would just try things. We would take audio from the actors that we had already had, and sometimes 
if the actor hadn't recorded yet, we'd take something from their other works. Right. That's um, smart. And, that way it climatizes and, to the actual mm -hmm. character, like the voices right. even. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, animating, like just experimenting and trying things. Uh, yeah. There's, in fact, I don't know, how, how much can I derail this? Can I show you? Go for it, some man. Stuff that, that, um, with Cooper, who was a character that I was um, leading, we experimented with, I don't know if you've seen Trolls or if anybody else has. I have. I have definitely have. I really enjoyed that movie, actually. Cooper is a character, for anybody who doesn't know, who has four legs. Yeah. Um, but they wanted him to play a harmonica at one point. <laughs> and so how do you do that with four legs? Indeed. So I was tasked with coming up with um, some <laughs> ideas for that. Yeah. Can that's I share my fun screen? problem to solve. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, just use a little button down there that's got a little currently a little red line through it and then okay. you'll cue it up and then I can put it on the screen. Can I share audio? Yeah, just Or does that break things? No, no, it'll be fine. If if I would suggest make sure that it's in a Chrome tab if you want to do that and then you have when you share mm, screen It's not. Oh, okay, what is it? Is it like a video? Video player, yeah. Okay, it's a so keyframe MP. Your best bet then would be the entire screen. Just make okay. sure that whatever's on your screen is obviously kosher. Okay. Um, and then you can hit the little share system audio uh, button before you actually commit. Okay. There's a, did you do the share audio? I did. Okay, let's try it. Let's see what happens. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I know that's David's favorite phrase. <laughs> okay, so this was trying to figure out how we could make Cooper play a harmonica. Could you hear it? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. absolutely. Okay, so what we did was use the the Muppets approach, which is not show his lower half, and then you have someone else stick their hand up. <laughs> and so this is actually a different troll, one of the crowd trolls that I just stretched his arms really high up. Uh, out of, and so there's a troll beneath frame there that is not being used, and you think that they're Cooper's hands. But it has that very Muppet quality, where yeah. it's like they're just sticks from beneath. And then... Um, some of the stylistic choices in there, like throwing his head back, was also very Muppety, because um, Mike Mitchell had said that, that the director had said that that was something they wanted to experiment with, too. So I was playing with the Muppet-type feeling for this. You know what's awesome about that solution is not only did you solve it, but you kind of created a bit of a gag. You know, like, yeah. it's like it, 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 it you, you were lucky because that character uh, was built almost to like suit that solution because of the long neck. So we, yeah. it allows you to like have the clearance, have the body out of the shot, but still have a nice close up and have these, mm -hmm. uh, these arms kind of comically just up in the shot um, right. without, without having to show what was going on there at all. It's like, it's, it's kind of got a nice, almost a bit of a, a nod to the Muppets in a big way. Cause the characters <laughs> yeah. had a bit of a Muppet-esque look to them anyways. Mm -hmm. Right. So yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so the best part about that is that everybody loved it and it was very successful, um, at least from the point of view of the directors and the leads and stuff. And then in the movie, that whole part got cut. And the only time he plays the harmonica is at a very sad moment. Mm -hmm. And so they completely dismiss the gag and he just has it in his mouth uh, without and he's just kind of sighing into it kind of. But he, there's no playing. There's no right. gag of the hands. So yeah. it never actually made it in the film, but they enjoyed the solutions here. Yeah, no, that's good. That was cut. Yeah, I mean that could be some of the, the the most fun part of the job if you ever get you know lucky enough to be kind of on a team early enough to like literally come up with creative solutions to problems like this because it really feels like you get a, a lot of a lot more ownership than you normally would get um, just by I mean, animating shots is already a big honor and there's a lot of ownership and a lot of creativity there but this is like next level when you get a chance to sort of be part of pre-production and try to solve like like directional problems which is mm -hmm. uh, always fun um That's just in case fun. in case you're joining a little late uh it uh, deserves a uh, bit of an explanation because you might be here going like who's this this guy is where david well this is jacob gardner jacob gardner is one of the co-founders of agora uh studio um also one of the co-founders of agora community um he is um always behind the scenes always at brainstorms and always helping drive things forward um, and now he is blessing us with his um, his his mind tonight. 
uh, David, like I, we, like, we, like I thought he was washing his hair, but apparently he's just he's just haunting us in the uh, in the chat. And I guess he wanted a, a different perspective tonight. So there he is. Um, so. Um, yeah, so da- Jacob's got lots of experience. He, he uh, he's worked for many many years as an animator, most notably and most recently before joining and found uh, founding Agora Studio with David. Um, it was was uh, DreamWorks. That's actually where David and Jacob met. So that's pretty much Jacob in a nutshell. I'm just oversimplifying, but Jacob's been it's made his ultra. But I'm just leaving a lot of details out. But basically, if you haven't met Jacob, here's your chance. Um, if you got questions, then uh, please do throw them up in the chat. In the meantime, I will continue to serve up questions from the the classic right. backlog we got another one here we go all righty we have this one here how do you plan the crazy bottom mechanics so i guess by crazy i'm assuming very stylistic very over the top stuff is reference helping in this case so by crazy over the top stuff how are you interpreting it like um David and I, I usually take different ter- interpretations, okay. and we, that way we kind of cover all the ground, you know. So, so I, my first impression period. was uh, asking about like really complex body mechanic stuff, like two mm. five people fighting oh, or yeah. something sure. like that. Um, actually, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to keep doing this, but I would have another example of that exact thing where I had. Bring uh, it up. Are you sure? Yeah. Why not, man? Okay. People love show and tell. <laughs> okay, because I did have a thing for uh, crudes that was what I would consider crazy body mechanics of five characters, or maybe it was six, jumping and climbing all over each other. Okay. Uh, and uh, let me, you talk for a second while I try and find it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so Scott's in chat, and he said this This question came up during the conversation with George. Uh, sorry, George. Jorge. Um, and uh, Jorge, I guess. I, 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 I suck at pronouncing names. Everyone knows that. But basically... <laughs> The assumption right now is that pro- they, he, he, Scott is assuming that the, the question meant a really cartoony and over-the-top stylistic. But that okay. being said, I think you should go with this tangent. I will try to answer that particular side of the, the, the question. And I think you should go along with this because I think this is equally important and valuable. Okay. Um, all right. I'm still looking. I've found a bunch of files, but I'm going to see if, uh, if I yep. can get the right one. So you run with your... Okay, I'll do yes, mine sir. first. And by the yeah. way, uh, is audio going to be important with yours? Hopefully not. No. Because the only no. okay, good. Because I'll just leave it out. Um, and so this time, don't don't share system audio. Otherwise, okay. um, my voice will get uh, repeated um, when I talk. Okay. okay. So I'm going to assume that the question was what Scott's saying, which is essentially what? How do you handle the ones that are really over the top and super super crazy cartoony? How do you approach this? Now, for me, this is about studying and referencing i think again I, the way i see these kinds of these kinds of animations is it's a lot like character uh, caricatures you know you walk in along the streets of new york there's some very talented artist sitting there on the curb they want your money to be able to do a portrait they're going to do a caricature of you basically what they're doing is they're taking they're, there's a reason why when you look at it at the end you're like oh my god that's so me and so not me at the same time it's because they've taken qualities of you that are are truthful there there's truth in it but exaggerated right so if you have a slightly above average size nose you bet your ass is going to be gigantic in the caricature right because they're picking up mm-hmm. on these you know what they're very good at caricature artists is, is they they're very good at knowing what the average is and so that they can detect that median and then they just shift things around i'm making it sound easy because it's it's really not <laughs> it's but certainly not because I, I couldn't characterize someone if i tried really really hard but you know really cartoonifying or stylizing really heavily animation is done in my mind a very in a very similar way it's about taking a bunch of uh, stuff that's true from a reference because you can still shoot reference for sure to be inspired by the overall timing and staging of it i still find it very helpful but then it's a matter of pushing poses way beyond what they are uh, normally and like if there's a you know a bit, a bit of a c curve you really overdo it um you can add a lot more overlap to things and suddenly things just become a lot more uh over the top and stylized but that being said you should always go and look to your reference because it depends on how stylized you're going so for instance if you want something to feel very warner brothers usually when people say oh that's very warner brothers they're usually usually without invoking their the the animator's name like they're thinking tex avery or probably even more appropriately bob clampett things that were really really over the top and really zany that's usually the warner brothers sort of like the, that's what people think of when they think of Warner Brothers. So I, I don't. Going, you don't really. <laughs> no, I think of Chuck Jones. I am oh, very much a Chuck Jones fair. person, which is not crazy over the top. It's more like 
yeah. um, authenticity in the performance. Sure. He's still got that pushing stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know exactly what you mean with like the, the eyes popping out of the sockets and stuff. Yeah, and like, like I mean, stuff, but. yeah, I guess it depends on your perspective and your experience with Warner Brothers. But mm -hmm. he's but yeah, but Jacob's completely right. I mean, what version of Warner Brothers are we really talking about it? My point is, is that even when you're talking about one single company as a reference, you might want to get a little bit more specific and be like, you know, okay, but which animator or what type of style or what what cartoon specifically are we really talking about? And then you just have to study it and then understand the rules that those animators had come up with. With the recipe and then start emulating it try to find a way of applying that same thing to to reference i'm a big believer in starting with a reference always just because i think it gives you i think you and i were kind of riffing on this one day i think it was you this idea of the in the, the sort of the things the fleeting moments that just sort of just come up in the mm -hmm. moment like like that you that's hard to emulate when you're kind of thinking microscopically frame by frame but mm -hmm. when you're like when you just act in front of a camera and just let loose funny random things are going to start happening you're like oh my god that's really cool i would have never thought of that unless i just lived the moment you know mm -hmm. so i'm a big believer in that yeah sure. really cool stuff can be born out of the experimentation that's very cheap right you can spend an evening just shooting a bunch of random references of you trying the scene and then looking at it and be like oh that's really like it's like almost idea mining right it's mm -hmm. like brainstorming with yourself it's so, so much faster than so trying to do faster. that in the computer yeah. oh my god so much faster mm -hmm. and some people are good at sketching out scenes and ideas did you have did you want to share something sure i can share it now oh yeah go ahead um, just up it up i'll uh okay okay so it was not for the crew's movie, but it was for uh, a mm -hmm. video game thing, uh, something to do with basically promotional material. Mm. Um, that this was one shot out of this ad, then the whole family was trying to get this um, fruit from the top. And so just I'll play it and there's no sound mm. that's necessary, but um, and I don't necessarily think this is a great end product. Uh, I think I could have done a lot of things better, but it goes back to the question of planning out crazy body mechanics in my point of view, the, the way I was interpreting the question with so many things happening all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I remember I was mm -hmm. launched on this shot before I took a trip home and the whole ride on the plane, I was just trying to sketch out little thumbnails because I can't draw of like stick people and trying to think if I just follow one character through the whole thing, what would have to happen next? And I try to figure out like, once this person gets on top of somebody, then someone else has to, like they reach for it and someone mm -hmm. else has to knock them away from just missing yeah. it. So how do I do that? Okay, that person hits this one and then the next person has to just almost get it and then someone else has to knock them away. How do I do that? And it's it's kind of like, I follow this person until I get to here and then I move to the next person. And then I have to go back around and figure out what that person does right after they get hit. Um, but it was, it was a whole plane ride of, trying to do those little thumbnails of stick people and track what their path could be. I, and I ended um, up with a bunch of different versions of uh, stick people. Oh, okay. And then you did you, but did you, did you review those with a supervisor or something and then kind of decide when to go with? did not. I didn't think it was clear what mm. I, it was in my head more so than on the page um, because each, it was very complicated to look at as a series of stick figures. So I did block it out first, very roughly. Um, and then I talked with the supervisor uh, when it was a very early stage and I went through and described each thing was, that was happening. Um, it wasn't a normal daily session where you let the work speak for yourself. It was like I was going through and showing like, here's the pose for this 10 seconds of this character. So you're going to have to know what happens during that 10 seconds. Right. Uh, and so uh, just kind of walking them through it once I had some basic ideas of this person, then this person, right. then this person. Yeah. It's crazy because, I mean, that this is a good example of, of a scene that requires so much thought and energy just put into just the planning and the staging because it's like the choreography is it needs to because it needs to be interesting. It mm -hmm. also needs to be plausible. And you're trying to, like, you know, have like a good mix of tit for tat in there. So it's not just one character is always active. Everyone gets their little moment to shine in here, which is mm -hmm. which is really important. So, like, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it takes scene planning to a whole other level that like a regular scene would never have to be um as um as analyzed as that I, you might have heard me typing on the side there i was actually looking for i some of you in chat might be might remember um what i'm talking about here but there was somebody i always forget his name 
I reached out to this guy a while back. I should try to get him on the show. He uh, he became quite popular um, making these little viral animations of these little fight sequences. And I believe he was always doing it with like Dota characters. Animator Steve, yes, you're right. Oh my God, A to the J, man. You are fucking on fire. I, I, I don't know how he, he always has it. I don't know what it he gets is. gets all he your references. Knows. Yeah, he's crazy. Animator Steve so funny you were like in my head I don't know how you that. <laughs> okay so let me just show you this one it's really cool um it's like this it's it kind of reminded me like when i looked at what you had there it's sort of the same kind of the same kind of complexity this is um i'll just post it people can look at it on their own i'm not going to share it but um if you just do and i think he's got a if i remember if i remember right it's i think he's got a vimeo page so if you look for animators there no he's got an art station um or something like that you can see his work a little bit easier that way but oh, i think i've seen this before yeah this guy's stuff is just awesome that's super cool like they just kind of like they just some of them are way more complicated and they have involved way more characters so definitely worth checking out if you've never seen his stuff before but i haven't seen it's far better executed than my example say what it's very cool i said it's far better executed than oh my i don't know i, I think no, it is, it's crazy very too. cool it's very but cool you, you honestly some of them some of the ones he's done would blow your mind because it's just that they're so complex but uh but yeah thank you a to the j for that save as usual um let's move on to the next question uh next question rather let's do it let's do it um oh i see one that was a direct response to something i said oh. uh was it difficult to relax and enjoy your vacation when you knew oh. had such a monster shot uh yeah. i don't remember that part it was it was many years ago and so i'm guessing it was okay i don't remember my vacation being ruined uh, mm. so yes it was just on the plane ride i thought i have some time to kill i might as well start thinking about this shot makes sense actually uh david actually asked a question a while ago and that was this okay. The best and worst experience for you as an animator at DreamWorks. That is an awesome question. How did David show up with his loaded gun questions? I know, right? Uh, he's well, like, by he's far, the best thing was meeting David Hubert. Oh, clearly. For sure. <laughs> um, I, I, I certainly know which was my, my favorite and least favorite films to work on. I don't know if that counts as experience, but sure. I did not like working on Puss in Boots very much. Mm. And I did like working on uh, Rise of the Guardians, which a lot of people did not have the same good experience that I had, and I know that. And also Trolls. I had a lot of mm. fun working on Trolls. Why, um, why, if you don't mind me asking, Puss in Boots? Um, I wasn't super invested in the project. Mm. I didn't believe in it too it. much. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't necessarily on, a, on principle of the thing. Mm. I didn't mind mm. that it was using Puss in Boots or that it was a spin-off of a different series or anything like mm -hmm. that. It was mostly just that I didn't think the story was entertaining or engaging. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really connect with Puss and I thought a lot of the execution choices mm -hmm. that were made weren't as successful as they could have been. Mm -hmm. And then I had a couple of interesting interactions with um, people that I probably don't want to repeat here. Fair enough. That, Fair enough. Yeah, it just didn't make it the best experience. It was just difficult and like for multiple reasons. You just mm -hmm. weren't a very happy animator on that. Yeah. And so therefore it affected your creativity and your overall sense of joy. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Although, I, I mean, that might mm -hmm. be going a little far. I think it wasn't It wasn't a terrible experience. Mm, just it not just your favorite. It wasn't yeah. good. It wasn't great. Yeah. It, was, yeah, yeah. it was just kind of like, do you, uh, yeah. what do you what do you do in a scenario like that you find yourself on a project you've been tapped to, to work on this project and you, you might not be inspired by it you're not digging it for a bunch of reasons what do you do interesting question uh i i think i just tried to find whatever i could in the shots that i was doing mm. to to entertain myself okay. and try to have fun with it um there were a lot of great people on the project and so like collaborating with them olivier which uh, was recently on uh, your conversation with. He was. he was excellent to work with. Um, I had a lot of very good friends on the project, so we kind of commiserated together. I don't <laughs> think I was the only one who felt that way. Right. Um, and yeah, he's trying to so find much on the on the stream too. He's like, it wasn't a popular project. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there were a number of people that felt the same. Mm. So we commiserated together. We, we worked together. We would shoot reference together to try and mm. find what we can out of right. the shots that we did have. And yeah, it was brothers in arms sort of thing or like right. band of brothers uh yeah 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 
It's funny. I found myself on a project a long time ago. It was actually on a, I think I might've mentioned this on stream once, but I worked on, I, I had the very interesting, um, I don't know if pleasure is the word I would use, but an interesting life experience of working on an Uwe Boll film. I don't know if you who Uwe Boll is, but he's a German director who started making a name for himself by making uh, movies based on game titles. A to the okay. J being the reference king himself probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> he um, he made like Alone in the Dark. He made, um, um, uh, oh man, why do I'm drawing a blank? He made a bunch of them and they were all like game title movies. But he was doing it in this weird, like, like he, clearly amateur filmmaker but he got these pretty big yeah yeah postal that's right exactly exactly i think i i don't did it ever come out though postal because i don't remember seeing it i remember him he was supposed to be making it but um um he also made uh why i'm drawing big blanks here to the some of the some of the the, the movies that he made but anyways long story short he um he was sort of famous for making these movies, but they weren't very good. And we ended up getting stuck with one because I was working for a company um, called uh, Toy Box that got bought by Technicolor and we were stuck working on Alone in the Dark. And we knew it was going to be bad. We knew the movie was not going to be great, but it was something weird happened. And the people on the VFX team, we were all like, you know what, man? Let's just, let's just do the best, like make it way better than it should be. <laughs> like, let's just... <laughs> For why not? I mean, we're on it anyways. There's no point in just sitting there being miserable. So we actually, I still think it's one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. It's weird. Yeah. It was because the team decided we don't care. We're just going to, the movie might be garbage. We have no control over that. But mm -hmm. what we do have control over is our work and the passion and time we put into that. And, Absolutely. and we, so it was awesome. We learned a the lot together. People around you make totally. the bad projects better. Totally, brothers mm -hmm. in arms, like you said, you get you. It's a lot easier to be shot at in the trenches when you're in the trenches with people that you respect and people mm -hmm. that are inspiring and people you can learn from. Like this is this is so focusing, uh, redirecting your focus not on the big picture, but on what you can get out of that experience. I guess yeah. is really what you said, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You find the silver lining. Yeah, yes, silver linings are like yeah. literally everything in a scenario like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember um, the, for Puss in Boots? Like I said, I wasn't super invested in the story when the trailer came out. That mm. we 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 finally saw the trailer. We were like, "Wow, I want to work on that movie because yeah. that movie looks nothing like what we're ma we're making." <laughs> yeah. And we thought the trailer, the story that they kind of hinted at in the trailer, looked far more interesting than what oh, we're actually no. doing. Oh no, yeah. that's rough. Oh. <laughs> okay, let me drag, do another one here, and then we'll go back to chat and sort of pull more out from there. Um, Excellent. We have a question here from Let's Animate Raul, and that is, what is your animation workflow and how do you find depth in key poses? Interesting question. Yeah. Um, so the, the, I think the, the question in itself is a contradiction for me because I don't work from key poses mm. anymore. <gasps> I used to. Knowledge. I know, right? Uh, so what I used to do uh, was shoot reference. And then I'd find like, this is my key pose, frame 10. And then this is another key pose, frame 50. And then this is another key pose. And then I'd put in those key poses. And then I'd try and find out how the character gets in between them. And I think that that was the wrong way to go about it for me. At the time it was, but I think I've grown now to where I find the more interesting stuff happening in the nuance of mm. how they get from one pose to the next sure. or what they do in those poses. And so I'm usually using the reference in a much more nuanced and detailed way mm. rather than pulling out a frame here, a frame there, a frame there, and then using my animator brain to fill in stuff. I work the opposite way. I try and get what's in the reference onto the character. And then later I turn on my animator brain and say, all right, no, I don't need that. I can make this C shape a little bit sharper and I can get rid of this part and I can make this smoother. But I start with the base of the nuance and detail. And so I'm not, I don't consider it using key poses anymore. It's more like um, almost working straight ahead from the reference that I like. And sometimes it's a bunch of, a mixture of a bunch of different references, but it's not pulling a single pose out of a, uh, every other, every 15 frames or whatever. Okay. If that makes sense. Well, so it, so to, to answer the second half of that question, then I guess yeah. if, you're, if you're not using the actual basic poses to find depth it's like you're finding depth in a completely different way then it's like not depth yeah. in a pose but more like mm -hmm. depth in the nuance i guess in some way mm -hmm. interesting so yeah exactly and so being able to believe that performance mm. and the the performance behind it I, there's a clip that i always show as an example in one of my classes that is from um man in the iron mask it's mm. a very old movie 
Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't very well received. But there's this part where this woman learns that her husband has died. And so she was like reading the letter and then she just goes ah! and like does this devastated pose against the wall. And I show like this the start of reading the letter and then flip to the end pose with her devastated. And I'm like that totally reads as devastated. But when you play it, it means nothing. You don't mm. see her thought process. You don't. Yeah, yeah. There is no performance there. It is just a good end pose. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I. That's what's going on in my head when I think about myself yeah. using key poses. That like that's a great pose, but it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. When you don't see the character get through the right. emotions to get there. It's the sequence like of poses. It's mm -hmm. the it's the actual journey. Like I think what's that? There's um there's a famous film um phenomena that i think halford hitchcock coined a long time ago it has to do with the juxtaposition between edit shots like you could show a person's face with mm -hmm. like totally blank um like just a look on their face like with nothing no expression at all and then you could show cut it in, in cut cut images of like uh cats playing or kids mm -hmm. playing and things like this i think and, yeah i don't know if it was him i think it was a, i don't remember what it's called i think it was a russian filmmaker first okay before okay. he did it and it was like cutting between soup and the audience would feel that the character's hungry. Yeah, and if you exactly. Cut, right, and it's like they're yes. putting stuff into it. They're inferring. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's so much so much inferment comes from the surrounding shots, just like the surrounding poses. It, it builds context. I mean, when you when you see that same series oh, of Oh, A to shots, the J has it. Of course he does. Of course. Sergey, do you remember the con what what was what was the philo like the, the what was the term, the film term? Do you remember what it was called? Oh, also, peon my peon had it as well. Oh yeah. Does anybody know the the film term? We really, we have smart chat. I People do. are in our chat are smart. smarter than us. Yeah, I know. Maybe chat should be running the show. Next time, chat, you can run the show. So, anyways, basically, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. It was just I think it was just called that 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 filmmaker was just calling it a montage. We've taken montage, like the meaning of montage is something more now. I find, but essentially, yeah, the, the the act of intercutting things. But like that same example of like looking at just these innocent random things. When you show this the guy that when you cut back to a face, if he's got a small smile, like a very subtle almost smirk on his face, suddenly he seems sinister and creepy and kind of like even borderline perverted. Like it's like you want this guy. Like just you feel really wrong. Just it's just because it's all about the context. It doesn't make it's so weird how like you without those other the 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 following and surrounding cuts, you wouldn't get that feeling at all. Just like you're saying, if you had the shot of someone like in full remorse on a wall, if that was the only thing you saw, it's like, is that really going to tell you that? Probably right. not. Not without all the other things. Interesting. Okay, what else do we got? Um, I'm going to scan up here because I think we had some stuff in, in chat. Uh, I see your question, Veronica. I will get to you. Um, okay, I got one here. I don't know if I fully understand this question. What do you miss most when you're watching a demo reel from junior animators? Are you mean like, is this a nostalgic question? Like, what does Jacob <laughs> miss the most when of, from being an, a, a junior or... I, I read it as what, what is missing from a junior animator reel. Oh. What do they need to work on? That's oh, yeah, my okay, that could be. Yeah, okay, well, I'll run with that then. Sure. I oh, would say um, most often it is... All right, that's... I was going to go one direction, but <laughs> changed my mind. So I would, I would far rather see solid entertainment value mm. um, in their, their work than polish. I feel like polish is easy to teach. Mm -hmm. But entertainment value is hard to teach. And that mm -hmm. is something that comes from within them. Something They're bringing their ideas to the table as opposed to just executing flashy, right. nice arc stuff. So can you clarify what you mean then by entertainment? Like how do you measure entertainment value? I don't know how you measure entertainment value. That is an excellent question. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is so hard to quantify. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that's... You can tell that they had fun doing the shot. It's not mm -hmm. just an exercise they're trudging their way through. Yeah. You they're it they have surprising choices mm -hmm. in a good way. Yeah. Um, like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of having that little flick in their eyebrows or something right mm -hmm. before that line. Something mm -hmm. like that that brings it's a terrible example, but it brings something interesting to it that isn't just vanilla and it isn't um I don't know. It, you can tell that they enjoyed themselves and they had ideas for doing this project. Right. right. Yeah, but it's so hard to quantify. 
I don't know. Well, because I mean, it, you can't measure it in laughs. Well, you could, but it's not the only way to measure it. You know, you could measure right. it in cries. You could measure it in surprise. You can measure mm -hmm. it. It's like basically, if they can provoke you emotionally, probably is probably a good way of measuring it. Like if you had some yeah. sort of emotional meter when you're no watching matter the it. emotion. Yeah, there's been times I've watched reels where I've laughed because something surprising happened yeah, that absolutely. I wasn't expecting, but it was yeah. it was really well done. It's yeah. a good idea. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be super polished in order to succeed in that way. Yeah, and I, I like how you opened that with that answer by just saying like the entertainment value is something that's is more important than the polish. And I would agree. Like I think when you really like, yes, polish is important, absolutely, and you need to know how to do it because if you want to work on the you know on the work in the big leagues, it's a kind of a, it's an expectation. It's like that's not what's going to get you noticed. It's going to get you in the door. What's going to get you noticed and get you the you know the 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 extra fun shots and you know is going to make you ra rise up the the ladder is going to be people to know how to entertain. And I you know it's interesting because coming from video game production this is something that's often missing in the conversation i find it's very easy to look at like okay i need to do this animation for a feature for this character in the game it's like i often find that people are for, like it gets very nuts and boltsy and people forget to suddenly go hey but like what if we were to do this like there's so many ways of doing what you're asking but what if we were to do it like this completely thinking outside the box the mechanical thing gets done check that box but do it in a way that surprises and i mean a good example of of that can be seen a lot especially in the more cartoony and animated games like Jack and Daxter games, you know, people have a lot of fun with the animations. And when you when you play a game that it really feels like the animators were having fun, that fun seems to be infectious. And I think that players really, really definitely enjoying that. So you have to always remember animators are entertainers first and foremost. Yeah. I think, can I go further on this question yeah, too then and think of it? Because I don't think I really answered the question. I guess I, I talked about what makes a good mm. reel to me. Mm. But um, and as far as the question of what is usually missing, I think uh, is the specificity. Like usually I'm looking at reels that have um, uh, acting tests, like mm -hmm. a character talking. Mm -hmm. And what is usually missing, and then this is also good because it's a window into entertainment value, is context. Like mm -hmm. you were saying earlier that um, let's say you have, as an example, if you have a a doctor talking to a patient. Right. If you take that as just plain vanilla, mm. that can be super boring. But if you make it um, a <laughs> brand new doctor who is talking to like his first patient, then that leads you down a bunch of avenues that can make it entertaining. Totally. Like, is he super nervous to ask the questions? Yeah. Or is he super confident, like overconfident in a way he shouldn't be? Yeah. Or is it a doctor that is like one day away from retirement and he's yeah. talking to maybe his totally. final patient Completely and does that make him, ways. yeah. And you can take that a bunch of different ways too. Like, is he, um, is he done with this? He just wants to go home or yeah. is he being very caring because he's the last person that he's going to talk to as yeah. a doctor The like getting the specifics of that character in that moment is what leads you to entertainment mm -hmm. value because yep. those choices matter. Yeah, and, and, and to clarify here, specificity is really just giving, like, proper motivation, right? I mean, you can't, like, because how, like, your the, the doctor's decision to act a certain way comes from where they're coming from, right? It, it's not just, otherwise, it just becomes, they're just going through the motions, and they're doing the vanilla delivery of all of those things, what you would expect to happen right. in, like, a cliche example, as opposed to, no, 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 specificity, specificity means, what is that doctor going to do? The right. doctor doctor who is one strike away from getting fired, the doctor who is um, in the middle of divorce and they can't take it anymore. And now they're dealing with this very interesting patient that's challenging their very, very like the, the last thread of patience that they might actually have. Suddenly mm -hmm. that whole scene is charged with drama and tension and all these fun things that has the audience kind of wondering what's going to happen next. I mean, um, if you, I mean, that whole yeah. what's going to happen next part, I think, is is. Um, is 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 part of it too right and and th this is fuel to that fire is like giving a reason to make the audience kind of intrigued like oh my god because they can start to relate to these scenarios of context and they're just like oh my god if i was in that situation for sure take a look at for instance um um, um curb your curb your own enthusiasm right that kind of humor that awkward comedy that is done in that show is mm. all about making you like it's all about building up context and then putting uh why larry david puts it He's in these scenarios and the audience is just cringing because they're just like, oh, my God, if I was me, I just don't know how I would. And so you really end up feeling for David all the time because he's sort of our he's a representative of us. 
you know, Seinfeld's the same thing. It was like Seinfeld was sort of being, he was sort of like the everyman man in these sort of everyday challenging social circumstances with these sort of trying to navigate these real weird unwritten rules of society societal right. norms. And it's just fun because of all that context. And um, I don't know. I, I just, it's, it's so true. Like comedy and drama and all those things comes down to specifics. Otherwise right. it's just like, who cares? Yep. Nobody cares. And that's how you make someone laugh. And that's how you give someone that drama. That's your window into entertainment value. Absolutely. Just finding it through there. Yeah. Totally agree. Okay. Um, uh, we have a question from Veronica. I promised to answer. Um, I like her questions that are always for a friend. Um, this has nothing to do <clears throat> with the fact that she's entering a new phase at Ambition Mentor. It's all about acting. It has, that's a complete coincidence. That has nothing to do with anything. This is somebody who asked her to ask you, Dave, uh, Jacob, okay. this question. What advice <clears throat> would you have for someone just starting to learn full acting, facial animation, how to make it less overwhelming and get a clear performance? Asking for a friend. Well, Veronica, tell your friend um, that there is no way to make it less overwhelming <laughs> <laughs> turn back now it's a trap it's uh what i would usually do in my classes is break it down into um we would do what we called snippets which are tiny little exercises so you would have a very detailed animation of just the mask of the face for like 80 frames doing blinks and eye darts and looking around and stuff so that you're focusing like putting the microscope on one part of the face while you're also developing your idea for your larger acting shot. And then you'll use those tools that you learned in that di deep dive of um, just the eyes into your shot later. And then we'll do one of just lip sync. And you do like two words of an audio clip um, with just this visible. And so you're not caring about the mechanics of the body. You're not mm. caring about the eyes. You're just focusing on one thing. And so I feel like studying each piece helps you feel like each one is less overwhelming or at least mm. that it, the whole is less overwhelming mm. because you know a little bit and you've dealt with a little bit about each one of the parts mm. and then you work on the puzzle of fitting them together as for the acting part that's like the the technical stuff as for the acting part that's where reference comes in that's where the specificity yeah. and ref, uh, entertainment value that we've been talking about that's what will make a, a, a fun shot yeah, I think from my perspective, when it comes to facial animation, I think the big epiphany for me came when I realized that the face is a character in itself. And a lot of what you learn about body mechanics has to be applied in a smaller microcosm, which is the face. It still requires breakdowns and arcs and all this stuff. And it's funny because you take a look at shots, the face looks really stiff. Nine times out of 10, they aren't thinking like that. They're just thinking pose to pose to pose to pose, which you would never get away with if you were actually animating a body. You need to think of it like it's got its own mass at its own weight and therefore requires the same laws and rules of physics that you're trying to so carefully apply. If anything, even more more so because it's not as obvious, right? You want to have, it's not, like it's not an arm and a leg that have to work. To, it's like, it's the sort of the connective tissue of how those muscles work together in a bit more of a subtle and nuanced way that you really need. And, and that's where the studying comes in. You need to spend time understanding how the muscles of the face work um, and then make sure that you are also applying all these animation principles to that knowledge to make it interesting to watch, you know, three-dimensional and, 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 and like overlap and all these things that just the, the, the more amateur shots just don't have. So I think just embracing that and thinking of it like a character really helped me. Absolutely. And as A to the J said, squash and stretch too. Yeah. That's exactly. required in the face as well. It's very Wanted fleshy. There's yeah. all sorts of stuff that's connected. And so you go like this and things yes. stretch. <laughs> they, Absolutely. they go in because it's stretching out. Yeah. You squash it up and it Squashes, yep. so it's probably it's the most squashy. squash and stretchy part of our body if you really think about it right because like maybe other than maybe a belly depending on your your level of athleticism yeah. <laughs> um actually that's not fair you can be an athlete still have a big belly i guess and maybe you know it depends on how trim you are let's say um let's say uh i guess that's it from chat we are almost out of time you want to do one more from uh, the backlog sure. okay yeah. all right the classic one last one Let me make sure. Okay. Here it comes. All right. Is there more pressure on your work when you're working on a big budget project or a smaller budget project? 
<laughs> That's a good question. That's a really good question. I don't know. I'm tempted to say on a smaller project. Hmm. With a bigger budget, um, there's more leeway. There's yeah. more cushion yeah. for things going wrong. So like you don't get the shot right a couple times in a row. There's the the big budget project can absorb that and yeah. try again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the smaller budget project can't. Yeah, the budgets are tighter and not enough room to, to maneuver. Right, it has to be done by this day. Yeah. Uh, when there's 70 animators working on a shot, or not on a shot, on a film or something, and your shot doesn't get done on the day it's supposed to, there's 20 other shots that did. And so yeah. the next department can be fed anyway. Yeah. And your shot's fine to roll over to the next yeah. week. Yeah. When it's a really small project, it, you can't have those delays. Right, yeah, two and, animators or something. And I, I'd say that I think the, the logical members in chat would be going, yeah, but hold on a second. If it's smaller budget, then obviously you're accounting for that in scope and all these other things. And that's where you unfortunately are often we're going to be wrong for some <laughs> reason. I don't know why, but the number of projects is, and I feel like this is getting worse better, rather than better. Um, and I, it, you can see some of this evidence of it getting worse uh, with all of the disputes that are currently going on. Uh, with regards to streaming uh, content. There's a lot of pushback on budgets and payouts uh, based on them using sort of old antiquated models of like television broadcast to these like clearly more feature film quality uh, productions that are just being streamed. I'm not going to mm -hmm. get into it right now, but basically there is a bit of a lopsidedness to production houses and distribution houses that are essentially buying these films and, and bankrolling these films and, and not just films, but just like series. Um, there's an expectation to get Lord of the Rings quality um, like product, but with like a shoestring budget. Um, mm -hmm. And this is what's driving a lot of VFX companies and a lot of production companies into the ground because it's just not sustainable because it costs money. You can't have, you know, you like it is the golden triangle, right? Production people know this triangle thing. You can have it fast, you can have it high quality, or you can have it cheap. You can pick mm -hmm. two, only two. You cannot have all three. It is literally the, the the most like amazing rule, and everyone knows this rule. But yet, every every single time, people try to break that rule. Right. So it's um yeah, I I would I would agree with Jacob. I'm on his side on this one. I think that the smaller ones are a bit more precarious because you're probably very likely in a scenario I just described, and so there's going to be a lot of push to try to get something really really good, and there's no room for mistakes where a bigger project can absorb. Like, I mean, take a look. I mean, I have more experience in video game productions than I do other productions, so I'm going to riff on that. But, like, big companies like Ubisoft, man, they, it is crazy. They've shut down projects after years of development because they're just like, you know what? This is not going to be marketable. And it's going to, we are actually saving money by killing it now than going anyways, knowing that we would just spend more money. It's like the sunken cost sort of uh, uh, syndrome that affects a lot of productions of like, well, we've already spent all this money, so we might as well get it out of the door. Or mm -hmm. you could cut your losses and spend that money on something you know is going to make money. So right. basically, big productions can make those decisions. They're more agile because they have a bigger cash flow, they have a bigger bank account, and they could absorb. Where a small budget, man, it's, it's make or break. Right. So you're going to feel like the weight of that is going to be a bit more on your shoulders. And there's a good chance you're probably wearing more than one hat. Yeah. There's that, too. So it makes more, more, more pressure because you might have less time to put towards any one particular task because you're actually juggling things a little bit. Because a lot of these companies don't hire a lot of specialists. They hire people that are just like small VFX companies. They hire people that literally do the whole shot. They do the compositing. They do the modeling. They do the, 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 the tracking. They like they do the animation. Um, that was my life back at toy box in Toronto it was a lot of that kind of stuff. And it was a lot of fun, but it also came at a cost as far as how much I could put into the animation, for instance, because I had a bunch of other things I needed to do. Well, Jacob, it was awesome having you here tonight. Um, we have to make yeah, this, awesome. of this. It'd be very Are there any more questions? Back. I know we started late. We could do another one. If anybody uh, well, has we one have, chat. we have one more, if you want to do it and that we get through it. the big, okay, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm having fun. All right. I'm not going to say no. If anybody knows me, they know that I, when it comes to like, people want to stick around a little longer. It's very rare for me to be like, nah, it's time to just. Okay. So let's see here. Last question of the evening by Aru Anum, who's often in chat. I haven't seen him today. Um, this is, can you make a recommendation for someone looking for a motion capture job who's only done locomotion animations yet has at least gone through the entire capturing process to post-processing and putting it into a state machine? Uh, what 
would a reel with this is this only lets us put so much. Um, what does it say here at the end of this? What would a reel with just that look like? I'm not sure I've completely followed the question. Hmm. So sounds- they're looking for a motion capture job. Mm-hmm. Does that mean animating on top of motion capture? Or does that mean they're the motion capture artist? Can you make a recommendation for someone looking for a motion capture job who's only done locomotion animations yet has at least gone through the entire, the yet part is what throws me, the entire right. capture pro- capture process to po- post-processing and putting it into a state machine. What would that real look like? Um, and because so of, it's, they're it's saying going through the capture sure. process, it sounds like they are the motion capture yeah, it sounds, it sounds like they've done the whole thing. It sounds like they've mm-hmm. kind of from data capturing all the way to getting those animations into the into the game. Because they talk about state machines, so they're definitely talking about a video game. Okay. Um, and so then what would a reel with just that look like? Yeah, I don't I don't think I can help yeah. with this one. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll take a crack at it. I don't know. I feel like I got more questions that I have answers here. But basically, if you have access to motion capture technology and you are able to capture the data and you understand how to process that data, first of all, it's the processing part that has me. That's the biggest flag for me. You want to be able to show in motion capture for me, when you put it on a demo, no matter how you're demonstrating it, the one thing you need to really try to show, in my opinion, is the people watching it need to understand they have to be you have to give them a reason to be impressed. The problem with motion capture is if it's if it's captured well, it's already going to be probably pretty impressive because it's like probably better than what most keyframe animators are going to be able to do. Um, well, I mean, if you want something to just look real, um, it tends to be not as exciting as something that's, um, you know, that's keyframe or has a bunch of keyframe on top of it. But you get my point. It's going to be very real looking, which is usually the goal that a lot of animators are setting for themselves, especially if they're trying to make something look realistic for a video game. So the problem is, is if you just go put a bunch of motion capture stuff on your reel and not give them some sort of before and after, I always, I always show people VFX breakdown reels to show what they need to do. Because a VFX compositor, they have the same problem. You will go to movies and not even know what they've done because if they've done yeah. a good enough job, they are Everyone magicians. Yeah. And you're just like, that movie was awesome. I don't know why it was awesome. I don't know. And then suddenly you see a breakdown. You're like, wait a minute, what? This was all shot on a green screen. And there was like that whole background was even real. And mm-hmm. but the camera was moving around all over the place. How is that even? That's where it starts to become impressive because you start to realize, oh man, that's a lot of work there. So you yeah. have to expose some of the, how to make the sausage, I think, for people to be like, oh, Okay, so sometimes people will look at it and if they have enough knowledge in the subject matter, they might be like, oh man, like if they knew that they heard it was shot on a soundstage and a green screen, then they know, oh wow, okay, I have a bit of knowledge going in looking at this reel, so I know that there's a bunch, but most people are probably not going to have that, so you have to help them. Help them by showing them, so showcase things. Now, to go to the state machine, that means you're putting it in the game engine, I would say, um, so okay before I before I get there I would I would go back really quickly on what it, how do you impress people have something to be do something to the data like whether it is um you know you're changing uh, like you know maybe uh you know you you've maybe you've gone and done some sort of key pose extraction so you use it as a base the motion capture but then you you then but then you extract the key poses from it and you build it up in, as an animation and keyframe it that would be in- impressive because people would be like wow that's cool you were able to block it out really quickly and then you made changes relative to what was captured interesting or maybe you needed to make a bunch of changes to the actual underlying data like posture or you needed to make a bunch of corrections often something that's in, you know, important is making sure things are anchored properly to props like you know there's a bunch of things that you might be able to impress people with but you need to be able to show them now moving forward getting the game i think it's important that you learn enough about the state machine part of it so that you could actually possibly demonstrate it by having the character like show a bunch of capture stuff that you did maybe even show a bunch of video of you being captured and then like take them along a journey almost make it like a little mini documentary so they can see that there was nothing and then there was a bunch of shooting that was done. Then you'd process that data and then you got, and then next, you know, the end of the, the reel, it's like you just running around this, this, this game character in this basic level. And people get the idea that that was all done by you capturing your own data, processing it and getting it in the game and then setting things up. So like complete the, complete the loop. So people that are looking at it are like, oh, okay, A, I understand what was done and B, holy crap, they're doing all the things that the, my, the person, the position I'm hiring for requires so i'm going to hire them because why would i not they're showing that they can do all those things so i don't know it's a long-winded sort of explanation i think it's an excellent answer excellent Mm -hmm. answer to the question you Mm -hmm. describe what the real would look like 
for yeah. exactly that thing. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, reels in general, I think it's important that you have to put yourself in the shoes of the person watching it. Right. It's important that they're looking for filling a seat. You, your job is to know what the person who sits in that seat needs to be able to do. Now you need, and you know, you need to kind of take a step back and make sure that all that bread and butter is there, but then start kind of thinking, you know, you know, taking, taking note to what Jacob said, how can I be noticed? How can I add a little bit of extra layer of specificity and all these other things that maybe the other animators aren't thinking about doing, and then layer that in there so that you for sure show that you know how to do the job, but then how do you break the tie with the next guy who's next to you or the next girl who's, who just, you know, applied before you, how do you, how do you beat them to the punch? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta beat them at their own game and show another layer, you know, but you know, answer the question, can you do the job? First, understand what the job is and do a little bit of homework sometimes can go a long way towards filling in some of those often un, um, often um, forgotten or misunderstood or totally never included in a demo reel kind of details. Okay, for Jacob, this is, this is for real the end. So thank you for being here tonight. We'll get you back on another one. It's always nice to have some fresh minds and fresh perspectives on here. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah. And thanks okay. everybody for your questions. Yeah, for sure. So uh, see you on the next one, everybody. Uh, cheers, stay animated, and uh, yeah, see give ya. yourselves. Bye. <laughs> Later. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects, and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs, and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.